0: Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everybody. We are gathered today and we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 2. If you want to actually open up your Bibles, I'm going to be referencing it a bit. So in Acts chapter 2, to remind you where we've been, we've been in this drama of Scripture story. And in this story, we're talking about the entire Bible, a cohesive story in six Acts. So today we're talking about the birth of the church as a continuation of Jesus' ministry here on earth through the church. Now to remind you where we've been, we began with the biblical story in Genesis 1 and 2. We talked about this beginning of God's work Our biblical story with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit at creation, and I'm saying not just speaking everything into creation, but perhaps even singing into creation, singing good, good, very good, the Father, Son, and Spirit singing all the beauty, all that we can see and not see, but that beautiful Time turned into eventually a tragic time where humanity rebelled against God. And humanity said, We can live life better on our own, God. And that's called the Fall, that second part of our six part story in the drama of scripture. And so humanity's rebellion meant that separation happened between God and his people. And yet God would not give up and he kept wanting to pursue us. And so God chose the nation of Israel to be his instrument to bring hope and love and salvation and peace to a broken world. And so Israel is the chosen one, and something called the old covenant. God makes a promise with them and ultimately is fulfilled by bringing Christ into a new covenant. And last week we heard Pastor Luke talk about this new covenant, how Christ is fulfill, fulfilling and working on this story of God to bring us hope again, a covenant of love, a covenant of grace, a covenant of hope, all through Christ. The promised Jewish Messiah, the Yeshua, is all part of that story. And now what we have in this story today, as we continue, we have the church, which is really, the Bible says, it's Christ's body on earth, because Christ has now ascended to heaven. He's not physically here anymore, but he does have a physical presence here through the church. The church which is you. It's not a building. It's his people. And not just one person or a dozen people, but millions of people, or perhaps billions of people, who have Jesus in them through the power of the Spirit, being Jesus' hands and feet in this very world, our neighborhoods, and across this entire planet. And what do we do until Christ comes again, which we call the last act, the new creation? It is us being faithful until Christ the King returns to show his love, to be a foretaste, to be an appetizer to this great feast that's to come. That's our job, the church, and what we're going to talk about today. And so we're reminded that Israel was formed to bring a blessing, not just to themselves. That in the old covenant, God told Israel, I'm choosing you not just to bless you, but that through you the entire world would be blessed. And now we realize that it is through Israel that it's Christ, the Jewish Messiah, that has now gone on to us non-Jews to bring salvation and hope to the entire world. And so that means that what was made a promise to Israel to be a blessing to the world, the church now shares that same commitment and that promise that we are to be a blessing to the world through the church and you personally as well. Because we give a glimpse of God's goodness when we come and collect goods. For kids that we might never meet. That gives a glimpse of what God is like. Because one day God's going to come back and there'll be no more hungry kids. Right? One day. And so this is a foretaste of what's to come. It's an appetizer for the great meal to come, which is Jesus coming, King Jesus in his second advent when he comes back again. We give a glimpse of God's goodness when we support ministries around the world, right? When support our, our partners and the persecuted church, knowing our brothers and sisters that they are suffering and we suffer with them. That's how we give a glimpse of God's goodness. And we give a glimpse of God's goodness when we open our homes to host a meal, to, to people in our church to build deep friendships, but also open up our homes and bless someone we don't know, or a neighbor, or, or someone who is not yet a follower of Christ. That's part of giving a glimpse of God's goodness, right? And We're going to learn in the Bible these particular devotions of the early church that we could consider as well because Israel's mission and the church's mission and our personal mission is yes to be blessed but to be a blessing and that our lives would be compelling for others to say I want to know this God that you claim to know that the way that we study and the way that we play and the way that we cook food and the, the way that we do our business, the way we run our families would actually make people wonder, who is this good God that you claim to know? Get the picture? Until Jesus comes again, that's our job every day. That's our joy every day. So I'm going to take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you turn there with me, to see how the church is to live out this way of life that is compelling for all to see. And so in verse 42, it's Luke, the author says, and they, which is the early church, devoted themselves. Let's pause. And they, the church, devoted themselves. Let's take a look at that word devoted. It's this Greek word called proskarterio, proskarterio of the early church, a key devotion. And we want to see these four key devotions of the early church that God, would be calling us in the modern church in our place and time to think and pray and live out that people might be compelled by seeing our lives to get to know the God that we claim to serve and worship. Now, first of all, a little note on the state of the world. Attending church is on a decline. Surprise, surprise, right? Church attendance. In fact, you're like a really weird person by being here today because most of our friends and neighbors are not sitting in a Christian church. So yes, you're weird, Just say, go and say, I'm weird, say it, I'm weird, because you're at church, but that's a good kind of weird. Because God says if you'll be devoted to these things, that God's gonna use you in an amazing ways. Gallup poll, this recently, this year, said that Americans trust in clergy is at an all-time low. Surprise, surprise. In fact, doctors, teachers, police officers, police officers and get this, even funeral directors are more trustworthy than people like me and Luke and Dorothy. My goodness. So, sorry if any f- funeral directors are in the room. I apologize. But, but uh, it's alarming, right? The trust is at an all-time low. Church attendance is at an all-time low. And so, in fact, two-thirds of you Christians, maybe you know some people like this, don't even think they need to attend church anymore. And these are people who say they're followers of Christ. And yet we're seeing God's word, how it shows us how essential the church, which is not a building, but the body of Christ is to your life. Again, as we look at verse 42, this word, it's the same word in Acts chapter 1 to describe the apostles' devotion to prayer, prayer that resulted in thousands of people, if you read Act 1 and 2, thousands of people coming to faith in Christ through prayer. that same word of devotion, the same way they're devoted to prayer, uh, Luke is saying you should be devoted to these things as well. Take a look at what Luke says they're devoted to in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, we'll pause. The apostles' teaching. Now, what we see first, the word apostles, which literally means messengers, are the eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And these eyewitnesses were called to share the good news that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. He is the prophesied Jewish Messiah who has come not just to bless Israel, but to bless the entire world, if you'll put your faith in him. And so these Jewish converts, keep in mind that you see in Acts 1 and 2, were sitting under Jewish apostles, right, learning about the good news of Jesus. Now, Keep in mind, the Bible that they had back then didn't look like our Bible. There was no New Testament yet. There was no book of Luke or book of Acts. So they were studying from the Old Testament, perhaps from memory, or perhaps from actual, literally a scroll. And what the apostles probably did is go through every day with these new converts, these Jewish converts, showing them how their Jewish scriptures pointed to a Jewish Messiah fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And they went through Genesis and said, see, there's Jesus. And went through Deuteronomy and said, see, there's Jesus. And went through Psalms and said, see, there's Jesus. And they went through every book of the Bible probably and how they could see on every single page Jesus, that he's not dead, but he's alive. alive. They sat under the apostles' teaching that pointed to Jesus. And in a day and age where authority is eschewed, where people don't even like authority at all, let alone biblical, orthodox Christian authority, right? Christian truth. How much more it is important for us as believers to gather together and worship and sit under God's word and see what God will do if we'll trust him in his word. That Christians today need to commit to study God's Word, to meditate on God's Word. You know what I do each day? Sometimes just a line, one verse of Scripture, and I just meditate on it. I could spend 20 minutes sometimes. I'm not studying. I'm not doing Greek and Hebrew stuff. I'm just sitting with a, a line of Scripture for 20 minutes and saying, Lord, speak to me. Just meditating. You ever do that? You don't have to. It's not it's all study, study, study. meditate, meditate. Meditate. And then, of course, you study, you meditate. Oh, and guess what? You got to live it out. <laughs> After you study and learn all this stuff, as you meditate and are communing with God, guess what? You're supposed to live out God's word too. And so when it says forgive your enemies, well, guess what? God might want you to forgive someone. And when the Bible says to trust God in the midst of all your alarming circumstances, that's a, asking you, will you commit to God's word, to live it out? even if you're struggling with it, to live it out in faith. So ever more Christians today need to commit to that first devotion, right? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Take a look at verse 42 again. As the end, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Pause again. Number two devotion, fellowship. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, they would have spent, these early Jewish Christians, they would have spent hours together. Keep in mind, there are thousands of pilgrims. They're in Jerusalem. They were from all over the world. Now they've had this radical experience with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. So now they're all hanging out, thousands of them together. And they're gathered in groups or meeting in homes. Or they're eating together. They're sharing together. They're people in need and they're sharing clothes and, and giving to those who, who have a need. They would have been talking and praying, actually becoming a new family in Christ, a new identity. And so, when we see this devotion to God's Word, it's also a devotion to fellowship. It's a little surprising, maybe. I know a few weeks back, I made an invitation, really a challenge, that each one of you would make a very daring prayer. Do you remember the daring prayer that you would pray that, God, you would help me find a friend in this church, a new friend, that I could call at 4 a.m. And they wouldn't put me on to send me the voicemail. (laughs) That you would give me someone in the church who knows my story, who knows my pain, who knows my joys, who knows my struggles, someone that I could call in a time of need at 4 a.m. and they would not block me. (laughs) That's a risky prayer. But guess what? That's true fellowship. That's biblical fellowship. And Luke says that the early church was devoted to that kind of a fellowship is so i'm asking you to pray a risky prayer that god that you would bring me one 4am friend this next year i'm praying it because i'm new here i don't have any friends yet so i'm new here me and my wife are looking you know for those friends and right now you're saying block any pastor tim calls because right you're like if you see ye just ignore he's probably trying to sell you something okay so Someone you could call in the middle of the night, you know, would pick up a 4 a.m. friend because deep relationships marked the early church, and they were devoted to that. That's what the church looks like, a new family. I'm not telling that every one of you needs to be best friends. I'm challenging you to pray a prayer to get one in this church, someone you don't know yet, one 4 a.m. friend because that what marked the early church, and this is what God used to change the Roman Empire, God's Word, And deep fellowship. Unbelievable. Remember those two devotions, right? Now, you know the hardest thing for us leaving Los Angeles, that Katie and I, we just moved here 10 weeks ago. We've only been 10 weeks. It wasn't the beautiful house that my wife designed, as beautiful as it was. We got it perfect, and we got it perfect for the next person, right? That's how it always is. It's not the thing we miss the most. It's not the diner. The diner we could walk to, and they knew our names, and we gathered many memories there. It wasn't our favorite diner. It certainly wasn't the L.A. smog and traffic, I have to admit. I don't miss that at all. The thing that we miss are friends, these people that for years we developed, and finally they knew us, and we knew them, and we cried together, and we laughed together. And these are the friends that were praying for us as we were discerning if God would want us to come here. These friends, these 4 a.m. friends that we knew were praying for us and, and lifting up our kids, and you know, those kind of friends who take your kids and you don't even have to ask them. They just do it for you. Like, it takes time. That's a thing we miss. And here's the great thing. We get to form that here now. And so do you. Because the devotion of the early church was to the apostles' teaching to God's Word and to fellowship, deep relationships. Will you take that risky prayer? For one 4 a.m. friend in this church that would help you walk this walk with the Lord. Would you make that your prayer as well? The mark of a spirit-filled biblical church is true fellowship. Thirdly, take a look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of the bread. What does that mean? Well, once a month, we do something called communion, the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. That's our choice as a rhythm of our church. It's a sacrament. Just like with baptism, our second sacrament that we recognize as a church is the Lord's Supper. Very special. The early church, though, just so you know, they likely celebrated it every week, and we could do that too, but they likely not only celebrated it every week with a, some kind of bread and probably actual real wine, not to shock you all, so bread and real wine, but it actually was a full meal. It wasn't just a piece of bread and a little juice. It was a full meal. And if you ever had a meal in another country? It's not like a 45-minute meal. It's hours. I've been in Mexico, Thailand, Egypt, Israel, Bethlehem, you name it. These meals go on forever. I mean, it's like, when is this thing going to end? But it develops these deep relationships. So every week, these people would gather, these new converts, Gathering in homes, gathering in courtyards, having meals together. Yes, the bread and cup, the sacrament, Lord's Supper, but with it was a full meal. There's something about eating together, right? Something about sitting around a table or kneeling at, you know, on the ground or on a picnic table or at the beach or even in and out, right? Whatever it would be, gathering with other believers, going deep in fellowship, committed to God's Word, and breaking bread together. Now, this should get us excited. This gets me excited because I like to eat. And so the Bible is saying that eating is like a call of ministry. So I'm like, amen, I can do that. Now, after eight weeks of our plumbing problems, if you're new here, we've had some plumbing problems. They've been solved, right, uh, by our plumber. But eight weeks of 10 weeks, plumbing problems, and so we are excited, Caden, to finally start hosting people at our house. It's a wonderful privilege to do that. We're looking forward to getting to know people over a meal in our home, but if you come over, just ignore all the bo- Our house looks like this, like permanently right now, so just ignore those boxes. We'll shove them in the back room. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to eat, and so the Bible says this is a ministry. You want to be a devoted, radical follower of Jesus? Eat meals with people. <laughs> Unbelievable. Open up your home or go to someone else's home. This is fantastic. So I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, go to In-N-Out with a friend in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, open up your home to someone else in the church that you don't know that well. Could be your new 4 a.m. friend, right? Open up your home and say, I don't know you very well. You wanna come over, grab a meal? Or even you can go out somewhere else. But also, it's not just for people inside the church as well. You wanna be a biblical, radical follower of Jesus? Go have a meal with someone who doesn't come to our church yet or doesn't know Jesus yet. That's radical. I love this. The Bible says you're being a great Christian if you would eat with people. So let's practice it. The early church was devoted to breaking of the bread. Take a look at verse 42 again, our fourth devotion. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Very interesting use of a definite article, the, the prayers. Now keep in mind, these early Christians were all Jewish. And in the Jewish tradition, they're praying at least three times a day, early morning, noontime, and an afternoon time. You see the evidence even in the New Testament of this rhythm of the Jewish Christians with this rhythm. And so these Jewish Christians are in the temple worshiping and they're praying three times a day and they're maybe in synagogues or in their homes praying three times a day. But keep in mind, now they realize, you know what? We don't have to go to the temple to experience God's presence. We still like doing it, but we actually are the temple of God now with the Holy Spirit living in it. We can pray all the time. We have direct access to God because of Jesus Christ, because of the Holy Spirit living within me. So they were committed to not only their daily prayers three times a day in the Jewish custom, but also 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that we are the temple of God. We can pray all day, anytime, every day, at work, in the cubicle, on the way to school, at school, while we're eating lunch, before dinner, after dinner, while we're going to bed. We have a direct connection to God. And a devotion for the mark of a radical disciple is also prayer. Praying to God in silence, uh, praying as we meditate on Scripture, uh, or even joining us once a month. We, on the first Wednesday night, we gather together and we pray and we supplicate. We ask God for help for stuff, for ourselves, for our church, for, for our world, for our city. Would you come with us maybe and join us for prayer on December 4th, first Wednesday next month? Because community prayer is important as well. So spirit-filled prayers leads to God's transforming power. That's what we see in Acts 1 and 2. They prayed, and they started this radical movement, and it started with prayer. didn't start with a business plan, though business plans are great. It started with prayer. The marks of the devoted church is the apostles' teaching, right? It's to fellowship, right? It is to breaking of the bread, and it is to prayer in all its various forms, And so the book of Acts, we're looking at one little tiny section. We read the whole book. What you see, it shows how God's love started in Jerusalem and then reached the entire world. And what started with just a few Jewish believers grew to several thousand Jewish believers and eventually turned to the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire that within 300 years, 400 years, it took over the most powerful empire that the world has known. Unbelievable. Believable, and it all started with these devotions. These four devotions is what it began with. I know it might look like in our broken world with school shootings, a broken world where we even have to put shoeboxes together, a broken world that maybe looks like something in your family going on right now or something in your work, right? We see brokenness all the time. I know it might look like Satan is winning. But God's word reminds us in the smallest of things, if we will be devoted as a church, that God will do miracles because it's his power. And guess what? We're on the winning team, guys. It all works out in the end. No matter what suffering you're going through, it all works out in the end, even if it looks like it's not working out right now for you. And I know for some of you it's not. I've been praying with some of you, right? I know there are tough things in our lives. And God is just reminding us. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us. Keep being devoted to these rhythms. And you will see, maybe in our lifetime, maybe we'll even get to see the blessings that come through our faithfulness. It might look like in this broken world that Satan is winning. But God promises through the power of the Spirit that he is going to use our little efforts, our mustard seed faith to do amazing things in us, through us. Not just to bless ourselves, but the church is blessed to be a blessing that our lives would be compelling, that the people would say, tell me more about this God you serve. Tell me more. I see it in your life. There's something weird about you, Luke. There's something about you that's weird. You're all saying, we know, right? There's something weird about you because I was mean to you, but you were kind to me. Tell me more about that. Or something's weird about you because I used to work with you last year and you used to freak out about these things in our business, but something's happened to you. Tell me what compelling life because of Jesus in us. Will we be a church committed to be devoted to join God's mission in the power of the Spirit? Because what we do until King Jesus returns for his second advent, right? His first advent, he came as a baby. His second advent, he'll return as a powerful king that we will see, the Bible says. Now, when he returns is when the redemption is accomplished. But that is why you are alive. We are here because God has us on his mission until he comes again. What is that mission, Pastor Tim? To give a glimpse of God's goodness. To hand out appetizers that people want to know more about this great feast. To keep doing good things that people want to know that Jesus that lives in us. We are alive, and as we are alive, we lose ourselves in God's greater story. This entire story, we say, Jesus, you own us. Use us. Bless us to be a blessing. Because Christians have this growing sense that we're not on this planet by accident that I really am a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's own spirit, the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power of God that did these amazing miracles throughout the book of Acts and throughout the gospels, that same power is in me. Yes, amazing. And that we be risky and be willing to say, God, show me the way. God has placed me here, do you believe, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mind, to be his heart, that God is going to use you as a little Christ. That's what the word Christian means, a little mini Jesus, right? Christian, to show God's love, to show his light, to share this story that your life matters. And I, want you to, I want to introduce you to the person who created your life and wants to fill you and bless you and use you in this life. To have the compelling kind of life that people even ask the question who do you follow what happened to you why are you so weird in a good way well let me tell you about this person jesus who lives in me by the power of the spirit it's not an accent even today you're listening to this message i fully believe just like the previous service that you are here today doing the weird thing of coming to church because most people aren't doing this there's something you're supposed to hear today, that you're hearing this message, because there's something, one thing maybe, that God wants you to hear. I want you to believe it's not an accent that you're here now listening to this. There's something the Spirit wants you to take in, to be encouraged, maybe be convicted, or, or to stretch your mind, or stretch your heart, or stretch the possibilities, and some of you are thinking like, I want to make my life about this kind of stuff. Or some of you are saying, I want to make my life about teaching God's Word. Well, amen. Or I want to make my life about helping people connect in deep fellowship. Or you're saying, I want my life to be about making great food in the name of Jesus. Amen. That you are not here by accident. That God has something for you to to, to walk away with as we worship Him, as we celebrate, as we come together, and as we get sent back out into our communities. That the Spirit of God is working. Take a look at verse 43. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, you have to take in context Acts chapter 1 and the fullness of Acts chapter 2, because it's very clear that as Jesus ascends to heaven, He sends His Spirit to be residing in the church, but its people. In the body, but in individuals. And that it's the Spirit that is doing miracles. Miracles of them being able to speak in languages that they don't even know. That's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The miracle of even this physical manifestation. They saw a fire landing in everyone's head. I don't know what that is, but that's not normal. But it's a Jesus kind of weird. It's a good weird. Like, wow, there's power. That's what you have in you. And so throughout the book of Acts and through the uh, the, the Gospels, you'll see these miracles, these signs and wonders that all came upon the people saying, wow. God is real. I want to get with this God who's doing these powerful things, that we see that the book of Acts really should be called the Acts of the Spirit, because it's always the Spirit of God doing these amazing things, and the amazing things even is people forgiving each other. That's a miracle, friends, right? The the miracle uh, of of these Christians even surviving the, the Roman Empire's oppression, it's a miracle. And yes, the miracles of healing, and the miracles of prophecy, all kinds of miracles. And God is saying the same spirit of God is in you today, right now, in you, if you are a follower of Jesus. You have access to this power, and that God is at work still. It's not just 2,000 years ago, but today doing miraculous things, if we have ears to see and uh, ears to hear and eyes to see, that God is still doing miracles through very regular people like you and me as we devote ourselves to the apostleship, as we devote ourselves to fellowship as we devote ourselves to the breaking of the bread and we devote ourselves to prayer the Holy Spirit uses us these little temples of God these portable temples that move around our communities our schools our work and the world that God might use us to be compelling signs of his love isn't that great you get to be a part of this You get to join God's mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you with a couple stories. Uh, There's a missionary uh, teacher, a Presbyterian guy named Kenneth E. Bailey. He's now deceased. But I was sitting at a conference listening to his teaching. Brilliant man. Uh, uh, speaks and reads Arabic. Uh, He can read uh, original uh, Hebrew and Greek and many other languages. Brilliant man. Scholar among scholars. Very Presbyterian. And as he was sharing about God's word, he said, I want to tell you a story about his time in the Middle East where he spent a lot of his life. And while he was uh, very clearly a a foreigner in the Middle East, he was driving in a taxi. And the taxi driver, all the people there in this country were Muslims. So uh, this Muslim man can see his uh, taxi uh, guy in the back. So he's a tall white man and he, I think he may have been wearing a clerical collar as well so he knew he was probably a Christian. And the taxi driver says, um, can I ask you a question? And so Kenneth Bailey says, well, of course. He says, I had a dream recently and I'm a Muslim but this man in white appeared in my dream telling me to come to know him. And this man recalled this strange dream of a man in white, and he felt love and peace, and he was supposed to find out who he was. And he looked at this tall white guy in the back who had some kind of sign that he was a Christian, maybe he was even a cross, and said, do you have any idea who this man in white is? And Kenneth Bailey, remember, Presbyterian pastor, missionary, who this is not his normal thing, says, well, let me tell you about Esau in your Quran." whose name is Jesus, in my Bible. And let me tell you that I believe he is calling to you because he wants to know you. They had this wonderful conversation, such that 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 Muslim taxi driver, who somehow had an experience with Jesus in a dream, had the head scholar from the Presbyterian world sitting in this taxi, who could tell him about the name of the man in white. And then Ken Bailey told all of us sitting all of us Presbyterian pastors, oh, by the way, this is happening all over the world in all kinds of places, that the Spirit of God is doing miraculous things today. I could tell you more stories, but you might say, well, Pastor Tim, that's great. That's the Middle East. That's China. These other places. Well, I'm going to give you a story right here in the United States. This happened just last year. Let me give you another story. A friend of mine was sitting in an airport, and you know those times when you have these certain people you kind of bump into, you kind of recognize, or sometimes you want to sit next to them, sometimes you're trying to avoid them, but whatever reason, this, uh, my friend uh, bumped into this person and realized they're going to be on the same flight, so he struck up a conversation, and he kind of sensed a nudge, like, that God wanted him to, like, converse, right? Because usually, I'm on the plane, and I don't want to talk to anyone a lot of times, and so someone like the chatty person next to me is like, hey, what do you do? If I want to shut down the conversation, I say, I'm a pastor, I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, no more conversation, it's real easy. (laughs) But I'm just like, yeah, I get to rest, okay? That's, if you want to shut it down, it's real easy. You can just say you're a Christian pastor, done, okay? So, but this man, my friend is much more spiritual. And so he was talking to this stranger and the spirit kept nudging him to say, ask this question or ask her, ask her about that pain in her left knee. For, I don't exactly remember what the pain was. And she said, how did you know? And he said, well, I just had a sense. As the conversation went on and on and on, he kept knowing things that he shouldn't have known from a perfect stranger because God was telling him stuff in an airport before their flight. And by the end of the flight, this woman was so marveled of how a stranger could know like, personal details of her life. He'd never met her before, but God kept like, almost like in his ear, like he had an earpiece or something, telling, telling him, ask her about that sin. And he gave a specific thing that no one else in the world knew about except one other person. And she was, how did you know? Let me tell you, there's a Jesus who knows you and is still loving you and wants to know you better. And she left that moment, that miracle moment, wanting to know more about this God who wants to know her in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her brokenness. Friends, I know we're Presbyterian here at this church, but the Spirit does not need to be limited by our, just our traditions. The Spirit of God within our own tradition says, We can embrace all that God wants to offer. And I'm not sure if these are the last days or not in a way that you see it, but I understand that Jesus is coming back soon, and he wants other people to know him, and he's doing miracles in our church right now. You might just not know them. Miracles of people coming to the faith, miracles of, of people coming into homes, your homes that maybe would never step into a church ever. They're coming to your homes, and God is using you to reach out to people. Isn't it amazing when we trust the Spirit of God to do the work of God? We get to join in these great works of God. So I'm praying. hope you, maybe you'd notice. I'm praying for revival, not just for our church, our entire region. God's revival. Not my revival. It's God's revival. The God I'm even praying that God will visit some of our neighbors here in their dreams. Because guess what? They're not coming to our church to listen to me. I might be decent. But you know what? God is gonna speak directly to people I'm praying for. I'm praying he's gonna to come to, to your lunches or go to In-N-Out with you as well, and that God will do miracles and prepare the way that we might be able to share the gospel with them. Our non-church going far from, far from God, not interested in religion, neighbors, I'm praying that God will reveal himself in amazing ways. I hope you'll pray with me for this revival. So just to remind you, when God brings these neighbors into our path, I pray that we'll be the kind of church that would welcome them into a community that is studying the scriptures, that is experiencing deep fellowship. Because if they can't see us loving one another, why would they want to be a part of us, right? Right? <laughs> if they can't see it here, if we don't even like each other, why do they want to be part of us? What an invitation for us to pray for that 4 a.m. friend, to break down the walls and barriers, and that when they come, maybe if they ever come and, and come to our church, that they see us also breaking the bread together and praying that they would see the church on God's mission, fueled by the power of the Spirit. That's my prayer for us. Would you join me in a prayer? God, thank you so much for being so faithful that you've not given up on any one of us, that you'll still use us, the church, not our building, but us as a people, that we carry individually your very spirit, God, but we carry also as a community, Lord, a sign, a foretaste, an appetizer of the great feast to come of your goodness, Lord, that we believe one day you return in your second advent as king, revealing yourself, that we would know why we're alive now because that future is true. So use us. Bless us to be a blessing. Help us to be open to you, Holy Spirit, however you want to use us, in amazing, awe-inspiring ways and in ordinary, everyday ways. Lord, use us, Holy Spirit. We want to be open to you. In your name we pray. Amen.